0: Hey hey everybody, Lions of Liberty fans out there far and wide. You might be surprised to hear my voice. This is John Odermatt, the host of Felony Friday, and it's on a Wednesday, the normal day when you would hear an episode of the raging cursing Brian McWilliams and Electric Liberty Land, but on today's episode, we have something a little different. Brian's show, Electric Liberty Land is going to shift one day to tomorrow to Thursday. So if you're subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast, you'll get that tomorrow. Today, you get a debate from the Lions of Liberty, the final Libertarian Party presidential debate hosted by the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we have Jacob Hornberger, Dr. Joe Jorgensen, Vermin Supreme, Adam Kokesh, and Judge Jim Gray. These were the five finalists selected on uh, very stringent and uh, precise and calculated criteria uh, over at the Lions of Liberty headquarters. I could go into the details now, but... You guys have a long debate to listen to, so let's get right to it.
1: All right. We are live. Welcome, welcome, my Liberty Kitty, Liberty Kitty Cats. We are live uh, all over the place right now. We're live on the Lions of Liberty Facebook, our YouTube. We are also streaming with We Are Libertarians on their Facebook page, their YouTube page. They are co-producing this debate with us tonight. Uh, I'm also here with my co-host and also my backup host, uh, John Odermatt, Felony Friday host. John, how you doing?
0: Fantastic. We're live uh, broadcasting from the United States and from Mexico. Right, That's right. This is an
1: internationally the... broadcast debate from my my discreet location somewhere in Mexico. There Who you knows go. where? Uh, but Jana, before we get started, what do you think? What do you think's going to happen tonight? You think these candidates are ready to roar? It's been a long season. They've been done uh, a lot of these debates. I'm
0: ready to hear some fireworks. What about you? I, I honestly just uh, judged judge by the the pre-show chat going back and forth. I think everybody's <laughs> fired up and ready to go. Um, I myself, I'm a uh, a delegate. I know you're a delegate too. It's true. I, I'm a personal interview, basically. I'm I'm un- undecided. I'm not sure if you are. I know there's many delegates I've uh, talked to who are still undecided. So, I'm here to uh, I'm here to learn tonight too until i vote i'm undecided that that's my that's my stance i to so to it all right john well uh, we'll
1: hear a little bit more from you later on you'll be back with some questions but first i want to go ahead and bring in the candidates for this debate and there are quite a slew of them in no particular order they are mr vermin supreme judge jim gray dr joe jorgensen adam kokesh and jacob hornberger candidates i already know the answer but just to confirm are you guys ready to roar tonight I heard a little bit of purring and a really big roar there.
2: (laughs) I'm sorry, I cannot compete.
1: All right, well, I think the debate is over. Um, (laughs) All right, but uh,
2: you know. The five of you are here
1: right now. I just want to explain why who is here is here because I know there's going to be complaints. Who didn't get in? Who didn't? Who did get in? Uh, and it's really difficult as a podcast host to, to make decisions on these things. We already hosted two debates featuring 12 candidates total. Uh, but this one, we wanted to narrow things down a little bit, give people a little more time to flesh things out and then kind of interact with each other. Uh, so we looked at a few different things. We looked at straw poll wins. Um, Mr. Hornberger has the most straw poll wins. We also looked at Libertarian Party recruitments. Uh, Mr. Supreme vastly outdid his competition in that area. And the rest of these spots were put up for a fan vote from our Patreon supporters, our Patreon supporters, the lions of Liberty pride. They are essentially the producers of the show. They help fund us fund what we're doing. They allow us to do debates like this. Uh, so we let them choose the last participants and, uh, Mr. Kokesh and Dr. Jorgensen were tied for that spot. And judge gray was only one vote behind them. So we decided to invite all three to participate in this debate tonight. Uh, now I will briefly go over the rules, uh, for the audience and for the candidates, uh, each candidate will start with a two minute opening statement. There will be six rounds of questions after that. And during those rounds, you'll have 90 seconds each to answer when your time is up. I'm just going to verbally tell you your time's up. We've tried a couple of different things with bells and whistles and Uh, I'm just going to interrupt you and tell you your time is up. But at that point, you can take, you know, 15 seconds or so to wrap things up. You don't have to necessarily stop that one second. I just ask that you just complete your thought at that point. Uh, The first three rounds will consist of general questions that every candidate will be answering the same question. Uh, We will then go go into a round of candidate-specific questions. John and I have picked a few questions that are uh, catered to each candidate. And then we will finish this up with two rounds where candidates will get to ask another candidate a question. All that we ask is you don't ask um, the, uh, the same candidate a, a question two rounds in a row. So, you know, if Jacob wants to ask Adam a question the next round, he should ask somebody else a question. Uh, fairly simply, uh, as far as rebuttals go, if your name is mentioned by anyone in a critical manner, we will give you 30 seconds to rebut. Uh, same goes for that candidate to candidate question round. If you ask the question, once your question has been answered, you will have 30 seconds to to rebut rebut that reply. Uh, if anybody has, doesn't have any questions, we will get going. Mark, could you, and, speak, uh, a,
2: could you speak a little faster, please?
1: Yes, absolutely. I can do that right now. I'll try to speak as fast as I can. while I, um, yeah. I am known as the fastest-talking libertarian podcaster this side of Ben Shapiro, but he's not a libertarian, so I'm number one. Uh, and this will, as always, with these debates, be done in completely random order, so you're not going to know when you're up until I call your name. But we're going to start with the introductions, and the first one to introduce—well, I guess this does give it away—herself will be Dr. Joe <laughs> Jorgensen.
3: And I get two minutes, right? Yes. So, hey, I'm Dr. Joe Jorgensen, and I'm running for president because government is too big, too bossy, too nosy, and worst of all, it usually hurts the very people that they try to help. I'm a senior lecturer at Clemson University. Many of you might remember me as Harry Brown's 1996 running mate. I discovered the Libertarian Party in 1979 when I heard Honey Lanham on the uh, local radio show in Dallas, Texas. After moving to Greenville, I formally joined the party and I have volunteered at all different levels in the party. So I would like to thank you again for the debate. And the questions I would ask each candidate here is, as Commander-in-Chief, Would you use your authority to end our involvement in foreign wars, to stop subsidizing defense of wealthy allies, and bring all of our troops home? I will. Would you use your pardon power to free people convicted of exposing government corruption, violating unconstitutional dictates, and committing so-called crimes that don't even have a victim? I will. Would you immediately stop construction on President Trump's border wall? And would you allow people to come into our country, anybody who wishes to do so legally? Also, would you immediately give Americans the opportunity to opt out of social security so that they are no longer forced to pay for a Ponzi scheme that they should have never been in to begin with? And last, are you willing to end the onerous IRS that has power over all of us? Well, I will do all of those. I'm that candidate. We need a candidate that's better than just somebody who's Trump or Biden. We need a candidate who's a long term member, who's worked on many different campaigns, who, who has the ability to communicate libertarian ideas in a way that non libertarians will understand. Because at your that's your time. You have to after. Thank you. I'm at joj 2020com
1: Thank you, Ms. Jorgensen. Uh, Up next, we have Adam Kokesh.
4: Thank you so much, Lines of Liberty, for putting this together and for everybody who's joining us tonight. The federal government of the United States of America has become extremely corrupt, extremely overgrown, extremely good at ripping you off, extremely good at Epstein didn't kill himself, and keeping it going would be extremely irresponsible. My name is Adam Kokesh, and I'm running for president on the uh, platform of a peaceful, orderly, and responsible dissolution of the entire United States federal government through a bankruptcy process that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations as the first step in localization. This is the everybody gets what they want strategy. Secession in 2014, the last time we have good numbers for this, was already polling At over 25 percent, we have the potential to start with that out the gate with this platform, give the American people what they want and have a chance at a breakthrough year, if not outright victory in 2020. The difference between Republicans and Democrats, Cheeto Jesus and creepy Uncle Joe, the kid sniffer, it's like the difference between going off a cliff at 70 miles an hour or 80 miles an hour. We cannot be offering, hey, let's go off the cliff at 10 miles an hour as if that's a realistic alternative. We have to offer a fundamentally new direction for America to keep us from going off the cliff. I'm a Marine Corps combat veteran. I'm an entrepreneur, small business owner, longtime media producer, and civil disobedience activist. And you probably know me from my YouTube channel, over a quarter million views, possibly my book, Freedom, over a quarter million copies, excuse me, over 80 million views, quarter million subs, over a quarter million copies of the book in print, or as you might know, from the origins of Adam versus the man on AM 1550 KIVA, more positive talk radio, Albuquerque.
1: Excellent. That was exactly your time. So you have that thing timed out, Adam. Thank you very much. Uh, Moving along, we will go now to Judge
2: Jim Gray. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, John. Thank you for Lions of Liberty. My name is Judge Jim Gray, and I will say that I have the best, strongest background and record of any presidential candidate in any party. But one thing I have done recently, I've written a musical. It's called... uh, Convention, the birth of America, it's about the constitutional convention. I'm proud of it with two partners. But one thing I learned by doing my research was that all 55 of the delegates, each one, they bickered, they complained, they might as well have been libertarians. They they fought with each other over lots of things. But the thing, the thing that they each one agreed upon was the most important function of government is protecting our liberties and freedoms from the encroachment of government. Number two was security. So talk about lions of liberty, that's where they were. They gave us a constitution and we've gotten so far away from that constitution, I believe they would take up arms against us. Judge Jim Gray believes in that liberty, believes that there are defined functions of the federal government as president. I'll be the first president in our history to push presidential power back to Congress, such as a declaration of war, our, our presidential power back to the state, our presidential power back to, what's that again? Yeah people. That's where it should be. So that's what we stand for. We believe in liberty. We believe in freedom. And and I've shown that throughout my life. Look at my background. We can talk about it later if you want to. But go to DraySharp2020.com. You will like what you see. We will be the the unifying party for for candidacy for the Libertarian Party and then for our country. The nation needs a third-party voice that they will believe in. We're going to bring mainstream libertarian thought all across the nation. That I promise you. Thank
5: you, Judge Gray. Moving along, we now have Mr. Jacob Hornberger. Thank you. When I discovered libertarianism some 40 years ago, what stunned me was the discovery that I was not free. And I decided early on, I want to live in a free society before I pass from this life. And that necessarily means the dismantling of infringements on freedom. The two most massive infringements of liberty in our lifetime are the welfare state and the national security state. The welfare state came into existence with the adoption of two massive socialist programs, Social Security and Medicare. Today, there are two Libertarian Party presidential candidates in this race that favor the continuation of these two socialist programs. As such, they cannot go to the electorate as a representative of your party that calls for a dismantling of the whole system because they have no standing. They've, They've lost the moral high ground. And as soon as a farmer says, well, I want my farm subsidies because I've paid taxes all my life and I have a right to get my money back, and they say no, he's gonna say, wait a minute, you've got your favorite socialist program, Social Security and Medicare, why don't I get my favorite socialist programs? And it's no different with respect to the national security state. Same two candidates favor the CIA, the most evil agency in history, uh, the national security state surveillance agency, the Pentagon, the massive military industrial complex. There is no way you can be considered free under a national security state. We have to make the case for dismantling the national security state, just like the welfare state, if we want to be free. And that's the choice we have to make in this election. Do we want to be free? How bad do we want to be free? And if we decide we want freedom now, which is what I want, we have to make the principal case. We have to go to the American people and say, this is what freedom is. This is why we want freedom. This is the case for freedom. Will you join us? And that involves adhering strictly to our libertarian principles.
1: Literally perfect time. That was your time. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Hornberger. Lastly, we will now go to the opening statement from Mr. Verman Supreme.
6: For clarification, are there closing statements yeah. or no? No, don't know. Okay. Yes. Opening and closing. Oh, th- thank you. I'm uh, sorry about that d- d- discontinuity there. My name is Vermin Supreme, and I am a meme. I am also a lifetime member of the Libertarian Party, and I'm seeking a Libertarian nomination. I am also a highly respected, internationally recognized political satirist, activist, and performer. For over 30 years, I have been using humor and satire as a successful anti authoritarian communication strategy to both mock and delegitimize the duopoly. Yes, I sometimes wear a boot on my head, but the magic of the boot is that it has allowed me to amplify my free speech exponentially and communicate with an audience of tens of millions around the globe from across the political spectrum and earn free media across the flat earth. This method to my madness has given me a level of notoriety and reach that allows me to make this legitimate and credible offer of my services as a candidate to the LP." Can a serious party risk putting up a perceived joke candidate? I say, yes, it can. It is all in the framing and all in owning that joke. We are a serious party with serious goals and a platform for America. However, and pivot, pivot's always important, the duopoly presidential election spectacle has risen to the level of of a joke. And with love and with spite and with his running mate Spike, here is Vermin Supreme. Hashtag in on the joke. I bring both gravitas and levity to this race. Can we use humor as a weapon against the duopoly? Yes. Can we use it as a tool for outreach, education, and recruitment? I say yes. Please visit vermansupreme2020.com, inonthejoke.net, and disruptthevote.com. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Mr. Supreme. And thank you, all candidates. You all have very succinct opening statements. It's almost like you guys have done this before. Uh, But moving on to the first question that will go to everybody, First question. Very simple. If you could abolish three federal agencies immediately, with the snap of a finger, the push of the Rothbard button, whatever you want to call it, which agencies would you
5: choose to abolish right now and why? And we start with Mr. Jacob Hornberger. Uh, CIA, number one. And this is the most evil. How many to- How many minutes do we have? 90? We get, 90? I mean, get 90, 90 seconds. Yep. Uh, Abolish the CIA. It's the most evil agency in American history. No Libertarian Party presidential candidate should ever be calling for the continuation of this uh, national security state agency or along with any other. Abolish the DEA. Uh, This is a horrific organization that has inflicted so much death and destruction, not only here in America, but across uh, Mexico and Latin America and other parts of the world. Uh, it, it's just it's it, and it's Jim Crow to the max. I mean, the drug war is putting to jail so many African Americans and Hispanic Americans. Just abolish, abolish the DEA, and then I would abolish. I would be a close call between abolishing Social Security and Medicare. These are two massive socialist programs. They are the crown jewels of the welfare state. And as I said in my opening statement, you can't be free unless you dismantle the welfare state. And if you make exceptions, you're dead. You're toast because you've now lost the moral high ground. And uh, the only way to accomplish this is by going to the American people and taking the crown jewels and showing them why freedom is good, why it's moral, and why people should be keeping everything they earn and deciding for themselves what to do with their own money. That's what freedom genuinely is all about. Thank you,
1: Mr. Harnberg. Moving on up next. Mr. Supreme, what are the three federal agencies you would abolish immediately and why? You have 90 seconds.
6: Ice, don't like one bit. DEA, same. IRS, ditto. Thank you.
1: All right. Succinct answer. (laughs) Moving on, Mr. Kokesh. You have 90 seconds.
4: It isn't exactly fair. It's almost like a super softball for me. But to characterize your question here, asking me what agencies I'd want to abolish first is like asking the mom on 19 kids and counting which kids are her favorite. But maybe a better analogy here would be, <laughs> what's your favorite kind of cancer? And when it comes to cancer, do you if, if you had multiple cancers, you know, a doctor wouldn't say, well, which do we, which would you really want to get rid of first? No, no like we're we're going to get rid of all of them. We we don't have to live with cancer. We don't have to put up with central planning. We don't have to put up with this monstrosity that the federal government is today. This is absolutely insane. So I'm I'm grateful for the setup for explaining our platform of localization. Taking the federal government through a bankruptcy process means that on day 1 we declare the federal government bankrupt. I resign to be custodian of the federal government, because someone's got to clean up the mess, of course. And what we do is take the federal government agency by agency through a process where every agency either gets apportioned among the states gets uh, spun off like the VA and social security and, and a couple other elements that hopefully we'll have time to get into if we can get into policy and or, or they're just like the IRS and all these other redundant evil agencies just completely abolished because on day one we stop enforcing federal laws the only other thing I would do with the presidential power is pardon everybody facing federal time. charges or in prison for victimless crimes
1: all right thank you very much Adam Moving along, Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray, if you could abolish three federal agencies immediately, what would they be and why? You have 90 seconds.
2: That's an unfair question because there are no, much more than three. But off the top, I would certainly think the IRS, which is so intrusive, so culmish, so fraudulent, the rest. Then one thing people wouldn't think about often, but I would, the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, you know that the federal government owns like 80% of the land in Nevada and lots of land all through the Western United States, and it's simply wrong. I'm not talking national parks or military reservations, but the BLM stuff, donate it back to the states. It's their property, they know how to run it. And the Department of Education, look, you know, the more. There's nothing in the Constitution to allow this. Ever since the Department of Education has continued to get more and more involved, the education of our children has gotten worse and worse and more expensive. So among others, those are my three.
1: All right. Thank you, Judge Gray. Moving along, up next we have uh, Ms., uh, Dr. Joe Jorgensen.
3: So the first one I would abolish would be the NSA. uh, Despite an accusation recently, I've never said that I would keep the NSA. The NSA is evil and it spies on Americans and that is unconstitutional. We need to end it immediately. I would also end the DEA. Unfortunately, the drug war has caused many more problems than the drugs themselves ever could. So I want to end the drug war and declare a drug peace. Getting rid of the drug war means that we would take money out of the uh, organized crime to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. The street corner drug dealer would be gone. uh, illness and death from tainted drugs would be gone. And also people who have problems with drugs would be e- able to easier get uh, help with uh, the I- or the third one rather would be the IRS. The IRS is a horrible agency. The way that the government gets power is from money. We got to stop giving the IRS that much power. I would end the income tax. No more harassing audits from the IRS. No more disincentives for productivity. The less money that's in the pockets of the politicians, the more money that private citizens have to, to support the companies they want and hire the people that they want to hire to offer the best quality products and services for Americans.
1: All right, thank you very much, Doctor Jorgensen. All right, moving along, we are done with that first round of questions. For this next round of questions, I'm going to go ahead and bring back in my colleague, Mr. John Odermatt, and I'm going to I'm going to step aside for a second.
0: All right. So you all had your your softball question to get things rolling. We're going to get a little bit more a little bit more heated here, maybe. Um, so it's a little longer question. So bear with me. And this one's going to first go to Adam Kokesh. It is said that libertarians are diligently plotting to take over the government and leave you alone. But there could be a problem with that. What about the ones out there who don't want to be left alone? There are many who right or wrong, feel that they need some support or that they need a safety net from government. How can libertarians remain principled and pursue the votes from these individuals? 90 seconds.
4: That's a great question. That's a common concern that we get as libertarian advocates. And it's really critical to communicate from a point of love and compassion why we're doing this in the first place. Obviously, the first point here from a libertarian perspective is we're in favor of people taking care of each other. We're in favor of private charity. We're in favor of, I would even call it a social safety net that's made voluntarily, that's done at the community level through voluntary cooperation and organization. And I will always be better than anything we get out of government, because government is violence fundamentally at its core. Everything it does is backed up by coercion or the threat of coercion. So obviously, peaceful relationships will always yield better results for people than violence or coercive relationships. That's really the core of the libertarian message. And that is so grounded in love and compassion. If we stick to that, principle as a point of st- of just where we're starting communicating i think we're going to be on a much better footing and it leads us to better policy a lot of these people here we want to get rid of the welfare state and they go oh, i'm gonna die localization The policy that we have with this platform provides the perfect transition through bankruptcy and creating a bridge to local mechanisms, local safety nets that provide the transition ultimately to voluntary community-based safety nets. You can't convince everybody to to join into another one-size-fits-all solution. It doesn't work. Then you're playing politics. Localization is the alternative.
0: It's right on time. Good job. Next up is Judge Jim Gray. Um, I'm sorry, the question is same same question. Um, said the libertarians are diligently plotting to take over the government and leave you alone. There's people out there, obviously, who aren't on board with that. They want the safety net. How do you appease those people? How
2: do you pursue their vote? You know, you inspire people to show how libertarian principles will help them. I was in the Peace Corps. I learned that people will not change their attitudes, change their ideas, change their actions without what we called a felt need. So you you don't want to scare them, because if you scare them, first of all, we won't get anywhere. And secondly, you know, we won't help anybody. Again, I was in the Peace Corps. I care about people. So I want to do this. What we have is. From a crutch to a ladder, we have an incentive program to help people climb out of that poverty, to get out of the welfare system, because we're not going to do it without the welfare system overnight. We're not going to do it without taxes overnight either, particularly given the COVID virus. So, so we need to show people by by inspiring them how our principles will help them. We all, everyone on this stage has the same principles, the same goals, but we have different ways of getting there. I believe that if you come in there and scare people, you get all or nothing, which is what I'm hearing so far from several candidates, what you usually get is nothing. I want to move the ball down the field. Ask any football coach how who usually wins the football game, and it's the team that gets the most first downs. That's where we want to go. We want to win the game. We don't want to scare people. You can get your purity points if you want to, but it won't make any difference. 10 years from now, we'll be in the same position that we are now. I want to win this game. I want to move ourselves forward and people will understand that. We will change the culture of our country if people once realize what libertarians will actually accomplish and they will jump on board.
0: All right, right on time. Okay, same question, this time for Jacob Hornberger.
5: Uh, our nation was founded in a very with a very special economic system. People kept everything they earned, decided for themselves what to do with it. No income tax, no IRS, no Social Security, no Medicare, no welfare state. It turned out to be the most prosperous nation in history and the most charitable nation in history. All that changed with the adoption of Social Security, Medicare and the welfare state. It's like a narcotic. It is. It has created this mindset of dependency, even among libertarians who are scared of pushing the button to eliminate these programs instantaneously because they don't think freedom will work. I have no doubts freedom would work. If you look, for example, what happened in England recently, the government called for two hundred and fifty thousand young people to volunteer to help older people get their groceries under the lockdown and their medicines. 750,000 people uh, volunteered the very next day. That's the kind of society I'm striving to achieve where we we encourage people to believe in themselves, to believe in freedom, to believe in virtue and the virtues of private charity. You don't need this coercive apparatus. You don't need it for one day. Freedom really does work. And if libertarians are gonna have doubts over whether freedom works or not, don't you think that that doubt is gonna be communicated to non-libertarians? We have to show people that not only is freedom a moral philosophy, but it's a practical philosophy. It does lift people up and it does grant that voluntary charity that sustains those in need.
0: Okay, you guys are making my job easy with the timer here. Everyone is right on time. Next up, same question for Vermin Supreme.
6: Say that the social safety net has been used uh, to capture all the poor people. And there is a certain uh, amount of truth to that. Uh, but of course, under a libertarian administration or a libertarian uh, government, uh, the tax uh, debt and the, the tax uh, requirements of the poor and the those who might need that extra money won't be taken away from them. They will actually have that as extra income. It's also worth noting that administration uh, of these uh, programs uh, cost a pretty penny. It's certainly uh, not a, a very efficient means of distributing um of the the necessary money to the people who need it uh, and also of course it's worth noting uh that many of these programs have have unintended consequences i mean yes of course um corporate agribusiness subsidies are, are always a a thing that uh, they can use to justify uh, the food stamp program but unfortunately things such as like the the government cheese program and the and uh, created and the subsidies to various uh agri products uh create a, pl- a space where uh, government largesse is creating a, a health crisis, if you will, in terms of obesity and such. Um, but I do believe that uh, the least of us should be uh, taken care of until we can uh, transition and uh, get the full-on mutual aid, volunteerism and charity society uh, working to its full capacity. And I believe once we end the foreign wars and bring the troops home and uh, cut out all that, uh, those trillions and trillions of dollars of waste, Um, you know, maybe we'll have some chump change to uh, help uh, a few people through the hard times uh, until we can make them better times. Thank you.
0: Okay. And lastly, for this round, Dr. Joe Jorgensen.
3: Uh, As a candidate, it's our job to go out and explain not just that freedom's great, but to explain why freedom is a better solution and how we can help people more with freedom. And what I'd like to mention is that one of the statistics that I heard before joining the Libertarian Party, which convinced me, okay, this is the way to go, is if you're looking at getting a dollar from the person who wants to give it to somebody in need, it takes maybe about 10 cents for a church. So you'd have to give the church, um, you know, 10 cents extra on top of the dollar to get the dollar to the person in need. It takes about a dollar, about 25 cents for a private charity to do that for the government to do it. It takes something like $1.35. Those are older statistics, but that just explains how the money does not get to the people who need it. Another favorite story of mine is the United Way. Back in the early uh, 90s, the president had spent something like $400,000 on artwork, which would be a lot more now. And what happened was uh, donations dried up. People said, we don't want donations to go towards expensive wall paintings. We want it to go to the people who are in need. Donations dried up, and then they had to earn the trust. If that happens to the government, there's no oversight. There's no accountability. All government does is raise taxes. It does not get it to the people in need. Private market works much better.
0: Okay, so that is that round of questioning. With that, I'll bring back Mark, my co-host, to bring on question number three. I'm back. I'm still here. All right.
1: Uh, moving along, our third question, which each candidate will answer. <clears throat> And uh, as, as we all know, uh, we're all going through the the coronavirus, the COVID-19 crisis right now. It's affecting everything, including how we're deciding the presidency. Uh, but I want to put aside that specific virus for a moment because there's a lot of controversy about how dangerous it is, how dangerous it isn't. But I want you to presume now that there is a virus with a, with a mu- much worse death rate than COVID-19. Let's say a virus that kills 5% of the people that infects. If, this, if a virus like such as this were to exist, were to be out there, were to be known by the general public, does the federal government have a role in combating this? Uh, what regulatory changes should be made right now to make it easier to deal with a threat such as this if it were to occur in the future? We'll start with Judge Jim Gray.
2: 90 seconds. Well, thank you. And the, the response would be the same. The government does have an obligation to plan for various emergencies. They don't know what, when, where. They don't know if it's an earthquake, a hurricane, a pandemic, and they failed us in this regard. I think they have that obligation. And then you put out honest information, give advice, recommendations. You also change the FDA immediately. They are in, impeding us being able to respond. People who are in the private sector, people who are, who are doctors and and manufacturers etc they can respond quickly okay finally the FDA fast-tracked getting rid of some of those regulations that just shows they should be gotten rid of get the government out of the way in fact what I say is we will get the government out of your bedroom out of your wallet out of your business and out of your way that's what we mean government is an impediment allow individual people to make their own decisions weigh that and make recommendations. Yes, you can't go into such and such a clothing store because unless they have a mask, uh, unless they have ventilation equipment, etc. We'll allow us to make individual decisions as adults, allow companies to make decisions for their employees, for their customers, regardless of whether it's 5%, 1%, or 10%. All right.
1: Thank you, Judge Gray. Up next, we will have Dr. Jorgensen.
3: I think the reason recent pandemic has shown that we do not need government, government causes more problems than it solves, and we need to get government out of the pandemic business. So first of all, I'd like to point that we are adults, we can make our decisions. And about a week or two ago, there was a poll that asked Americans, do you think that we should stay self-quarantined a little longer? And something like 80, uh, 70 to 80% said yes. So people understand that if there's something out there, they need to stay home if possible. However, not everybody can stay home as, you know, not everybody has a job that they can stay home. They should be allowed to go out and earn a living. Secondly, without the government in the way, as the government was this time with the FDA, we would have more testing so that people would know if they could go out or not. If we look at the countries that had much faster testing we saw that basically people who knew they had the virus could stay home and the ones who didn't could go out there and live a normal life and the worst part of it all is that with this past one government steps in and starts bailing out the companies that they want to bail out as opposed to letting the free market letting each of us individual decide which company we want to support. So bureaucrats can never uh, spend money as best as individuals. We need to leave it up to the free market and the individuals.
1: All right, Dr. Jorgensen, thank you very much. Moving on, uh,
6: the next answer
1: will go to Mr. Vermin Supreme.
6: Well, yes, if there was such a pandemic and we had uh, 5% fatality, I believe that there would be a great amount of fear in the population Of course, fear would probably be a great uh, motivator in terms of uh, voluntary compliance with recommendations. Uh, But I think an important part, of course, in such a a given state of emergency would certainly be uh, attempting to calm the population and providing them with the most uh, current, up-to-date, accurate uh, medical and scientific uh, information available. Um, One thing I would make sure is that there was no corporate welfare and any sort of relief bills that were required as a Uh, As a result of this, um, I would require that emergency spending during any crisis uh, would be approved by uh, Congress with no other earmarks. Uh, If there was an epidemic declared, I would uh, approve all medical research funding to be diverted uh, to solving that particular crisis, uh, along with uh, FEMA money if that was a thing and there was a government. Um, And I actually have uh, expanded on this. If you go to inonthechoke.net is where you will, in fact, find uh, the Vermin Supreme uh, team pandemic preparedness uh, platform uh, policy plank. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Supreme, who will now move over to Jacob Hornberger.
5: Yeah, I think the worst thing we can do as a presidential candidate is act as if all they have to do is put us in charge of this dysfunctional system and we're going to make it work. It cannot work. 30 years ago, I published a book as part of my educational work with a foundation called The Dangers of Socialized Medicine. Where I said there's only one solution to this healthcare crisis: repeal Medicare and Medicaid, and get government out of healthcare entirely. This is one of the things that distinguished me uh, in this campaign. This is the root cause. This is what destroyed the finest healthcare system in history. This massive socialist program. Now you've also got the other socialism part. Of this the central planning, Centers for Disease Control, FDA, and so forth. That's where the shortages come in. Ask anybody in the Soviet Union about central planning, shortages of masks, shortages of ventilators. And then you've got planned chaos. That's what Ludwig von Mises called it. On top of that, you've got the dictatorial aspect coming out in people's uh, heads, you know, the the mayors, the governors, because when their socialist system starts cracking up, they turn to tyranny and oppression. There's only one solution. I said this 30 years ago, and this is in the party platform in 1990 when I joined the party separate healthcare and state entirely, get government entirely out of healthcare. There's no other solution, a total free market healthcare system. Then we'd be looking to the healthcare professionals to get us out of this morass. You'd have the dynamism of the free market, you'd have people voluntarily helping others, which is what voluntary charity is all about. Thank you very much, Mr. Horenberger. Lastly, but certainly not leastly, we
1: go to Adam Kokesh, 90 seconds.
4: No health crisis or virus could ever possibly justify violations of individual rights. What the government is doing right now is criminal. We are not in a health pandemic so much as we are in a forced unemployment crisis. That is what we're really experiencing today. The American people, don't trust government and they shouldn't. And if your answer to anything having anything to do with American health is trust the government, they shouldn't trust you. And that's really disappointing to hear from Dr. Or, excuse me, uh, uh, Judge Gray here that he would have government have anything to do with response, as we see with coronavirus. And we're talking about uh, a virus that has a lower mortality rate than testifying against Hillary Clinton. And I should point out for the record, I am not now, nor have I ever been suicidal. I have to say that every time I mention her name. But no, this, is, this reminds me of the quote from Hayek, Friedrich Hayek, emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of individual liberty have eroded. We must make sure that we give no ground whatsoever to the fear mongers who would use this or any other crisis as an excuse to violate individual rights.
1: Right, thank you, Adam. Uh, Judge Gray, you were mentioned there uh, critically. Would you like to respond to, to what Adam was saying there? We have 30 seconds. Oh, I,
2: I suggest that the government get information and put it out there to people and give recommendations and advice. I think that's not that's not a socialist state. I, I think maybe he misinterpreted me. Maybe you should listen instead of listening
3: uh, in,
2: to me.
4: Information, information is absolutely critical. Having government out of the flow of information in any way controlling or impeding it is a threat to a free society.
1: All right. Well, it's nice to get a little exchange once in a while, but now we're going to have even more fun because, uh, this next round, we're going to be asking the candidates individual questions that were specifically tailored just for you. Uh, the first one though, I'm going to bring in back my colleague, John Odermatt. He's got the first question, John, take it away.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the first question here is for Jacob Hornberger. And as Mark said, each candidate's getting a different question, but this question just so happens to build on, uh, the second question we asked here tonight. So uh, Jacob, you've advocated uh, for abolishing Medicare and social, social security, uh, and you often say the freedom works. And I believe you said it earlier tonight, and I agree with that, I think most libertarians do, but can you provide a little, little bit of an outline or maybe a transition plan in a uh, Hornberger administration, how you would transition from uh, the status programs we have now to uh, ones that we would see in a more free society?
5: Yeah, I think we need to distinguish. Did it get 90 seconds? Uh, yes, 90 seconds. Yeah. Uh, we need to distinguish between what we stand for and then what happens is a, a practical matter. We've got to stand for liberty. This is not a purity test. It's not to determine who's more libertarian. It's what does it mean to be free? If you want to get, be free, you got to get rid of socialism. And Social Security and Medicare are two massive socialist programs. And so you got to get rid of them. You've got to make the case for getting rid of them. you got to show confidence in liberty, that liberty works, that this socialism is the bane of society. Socialism is impoverished people. It's even driven people into death. It's a horrific system, including welfare state socialism. Now, as a practical matter, obviously, a president doesn't have the power to just eliminate Social Security overnight, he's got to go to Congress. He's got to say, hey, I want it. I want this enacted. Then Congress makes that decision. He can't do it on his own. But he can go to the American people and say, look, we want the restoration of economic liberty in this country and health care liberty and monetary liberty and go in there and make the principal case. But once you make an exception and you say, well, I think we need Social Security for transition, I don't believe that freedom will work if we push the button and eliminated it. Uh, Or we need Medicare for an interim. You're dead. You're toast. Because then you can't take on Donald Trump and Joe Biden on a principle level that says abolish the whole thing because they're going to come back and say you believe in socialism, too.
0: Okay, thank you. And back to Mark for the next question. All right, I'm back. This next question goes to
1: Vermin Supreme. Mr. Supreme, one of the biggest criticisms of your candidacy is the concern that it will make the Libertarian Party look like a joke uh, and forever be associated with the guy with the boot on his head. So why do you believe that you're the over-the-top style of the vermin Supreme character will not only interest people in the Libertarian Party, but also get people who are serious about politics and really serious about the ideas to look beyond the character of vermin supreme beyond the boot if you will and take a serious look at the ideas behind the libertarian party
6: well once again i've been making my uh, satirical critique uh, for over 30 years and i've uh, built uh, uh, quite an audience and i believe that uh, most people do in fact understand uh, what it is that i am presenting in terms of uh, Uh, satirical and humorous take on the system and in terms of deconstructing it Um, if you look at any of the uh, media that I've received over the years uh, most of it and if you look at any of the Debates, uh, Yes, indeed. I, I, have, I do have the fluidity that allows me to go from clown to down. And I've used this time and time again, uh, using my character and the imaginary planks of the ponies and the, and the zombies and such to draw people in, to make them look, to, uh, to make them have a clue. And once again, this is where the in on the joke uh, hashtag fully works. The Libertarian Party would indeed have to fully own the joke and propel the joke forward. And that would absolutely inoculate the party from being the joke or being the butt of the joke, because the duopoly election systems, they've risen to the level of joke. And I am willing to be your joke on America and on the duopoly. I believe that we can indeed use the humor and the satire as an educational reason, as an outreach, and uh, for all these associated things. We, we can make it happen. We can use it. And uh, it is legitimate. Thank you.
1: Right. Thank you very much, Mr. Supreme. Uh, we're now going to bring in John Odermatt once again, ping-ponging back and forth here. I believe John, once he's fully, uh, there he is, yeah. will have a question for Judge Gray.
0: Yes, Judge Gray. Uh, you might be sick of uh, sick of this topic here, but uh, we're going to talk about jury nullification again. Right. I just want to just want to get this cr- crystal clear. So you've stated, I think, pretty clearly uh, that you're in favor of and you support jury nullification. Um, where the confusion on on my end, and I want this to be clear to delegates, is it, it sounded like um, as a judge that you would not inform uh, jurors of uh, of jury nullification, or that you have the opinion that, that no judge should really be doing it. So my question would be, is, is this accurate, first of all? And if that is your thinking, could you just uh, provide some, some clarity and some, uh, some details as to why? Sure. Well, John,
2: life is complicated. I'm sorry to be so blunt, but you heard it here first. Yes, I believe in j- jury nullification. A jury has an absolute right, thankfully, to stand as a buttress between over-prosecution and the rest of us. Jury finds somebody not guilty. That's it. No appeal. End of story. But yes, as a judge, you do not want me to instruct a jury that the laws don't matter. And you know, you can get into lynchings, you can get into wife abuse, you can get, you name it. So we need to have an orderly process. We need to have justice, and somebody that interferes with that justice is simply harming people. It's a, it's a violation of their rights. So yes, I don't think that a judge should tell the jurors that they should not violate, that they should not follow the law, that laws don't matter. So that is my expense. I'm not, I've been not misquoted on that. I made one mistake one time on one podcast, but I've been speaking that way for, for years. Most judges who are close to the justice system understand that. And I think most people should as well.
0: Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. And Mark is going to follow up with a question here for Dr. Joe Jorgensen. There he is, he's back. I am back. All right. Dr. Jorgensen, this question is for you. Uh, As you've mentioned, uh, you
1: ran as Harry Brown's running mate in 1996. That was generally received as as a very successful campaign as far as uh, LP presidential campaigns go. Uh, What I'm curious about is, are there lessons that you learned from that campaign, including possibly even mistakes that you made along the way? And how would you apply those lessons to running at the top of the libertarian ticket if you are selected to do so in 2020? I think she, I think uh, Dr. Jorgensen is, is yes. muted again. Yes. There we go. I'll so, start your time um, now.
3: That. Yeah, thank you. I won't need it all. If you don't mind, I'd like to give a mistake that I actually made shortly before the VP campaign. I ran for US House in 92, which was four years before the 96 campaign. And what I did was I showed up for a radio show with all my facts and figures. It was a very right wing radio show, all my facts and figures. And I thought we were going to have a meaningful discussion, dialogue back and forth, kind of solve the world's problems. And when I showed up, all I got was a Have you stopped beating your wife? Question question after question after question. So I learned early on that you need to go in on the offensive, not being very helpful or or not trying to be overly helpful and just being here to answer questions. What you need to do is you need to go in with an agenda. And if they get off topic, you need to say, look, I'm here talking about these topics. Um, those, Those questions that you raised are very interesting, but you know, those aren't the problems. Those aren't the concerns I'm hearing from the American public. Here's what the American public wants to hear about. They want to hear about healthcare. They want to know how can they pay their mortgage after their you know astronomical healthcare bills. They want to hear about education. They want to hear about the environment because they're concerned about what's going on there. So I would walk in with a predetermined uh, list of topics that I wanted to talk about and steer the uh, discussion that way.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Jorgensen. Uh, I think there's one more question that needs to go and it's got to go to Adam Kokesh. Odie, take it away.
0: Yep. The last uh, candidate question here, or candidate specific question, I should say, is for uh, Adam Kokesh. Uh, You have declared that if elected, you would step down from the presidency and serve as custodian to oversee the peaceful dissolving of the federal government. If elected as the LP nominee, what is your pitch to the American voter and why should they elect you to an office that you don't even want to hold?
4: Well, we need to be asking the right questions. Does America even need a president? Do we need to be forced into one government in order to be united in American values? I say no. Certainly, America is too good for this government. And we can show the way forward for the world, as we did with the founding of this country, saying that we don't need to be a part of this centralized system. We can localize government. We can unite the American people When we stop playing their game of politics, arguing issue by issue, polarized as we are now, localization is the cure for polarization. Instead of arguing issue by issue, we can unite by taking issue with the fact that people from Washington, D.C. are trying to force their will on the rest of the country. That's where we are united as victims of this centralized coercive system. Localization is the everybody gets what they want strategy, because as government is localized, it becomes customized right away. As a conservative, meeting a liberal on the street. You don't have to see each other as enemies anymore when you can say, I'm glad you live that way over there and you live that way over there. And I respect your freedom to live in a way that is different than how I wanna live in my community. This is how we transition to the real embodiment of American values, allow communities to have the autonomy to set their own policies so that people only have systems based on their values set up to meet their needs with their consent.
0: Okay. So that concludes our, uh, candidate specific questions. Next, we're going to move on to the candidate to candidate questions. And, uh, I will host this round and then Mark will come back in to do round two. So, uh, the way this works, obviously you ask another candidate a question. They have 90 seconds to respond and then, as the asker, you have thirty seconds uh, to rebut if you so choose. So we'll start this round with Vermin Supreme. Ah, uh, yes.
6: Well, uh, I guess I have a, a, a question for Jacob. Um, now, once again, of course, you know I don't mean to toot my own horn, but you know I have one hundred and forty thousand. TikTok followers and like a couple million hits on the hashtags and all that. So I was just wondering if you could uh, tell us uh, what your specific plans are in terms of uh, youth outreach.
5: Well, specifically the the trust that I have in younger people. I mean, that's what we need to restore in this country, that right now you have this coercive apparatus. For example, we've been talking about Social Security and Medicare that takes two trillion dollars out of the pockets of young people. And it and it tells young people, you can't be trusted. You're a bad people. You can't be trusted to take care of your mother and father and honor them on a voluntary basis. This is pure nonsense. I want to tell young people, we libertarians believe in you. We have no doubts. You already heard me tell the story of those young people in England that you keep the two trillion dollars that they're plundering you every month or every year. Eliminate the middleman, eliminate the IRS and the Social Security Administration and Medicare and so forth, and then leave younger people with that opportunity to help parents, the people who raise them, educated. In those cases where there's no children, we rely on voluntary charity. But that's what we need to do is restore a confidence in people where they believe in themselves. They believe in others. They believe in free will. They believe in the virtues of private charity. Once we restore that faith, that self-esteem among the young people of this country, you're going to see the support for this coercive socialist apparatus disintegrate. Okay. And Vermin Supreme, you have 30 seconds
6: to rebut. The kids are going to love it. Um, I guess I was looking more for uh, specific strategies and uh, outreach methods. Um, I'll give the remaining time for you to complete that answer. Thank you. Okay.
5: Through the, just the power of ideas you know, I I have total faith in the power of ideas, ideas on liberty, ideas, move people throughout history. All great movements have been led by an infinitesimally small minority of people relying on principle ideals and sound ideas on liberty that's how we got the first amendment due process of law so you go to the young people and you appeal to them with ideals principles and trust in freedom
0: okay next up asking the question is judge
2: jim gray well thank you thank you john uh joe jorgensen i've heard you say numbers of times that you would as president abolish lots of agencies, the IRS you said today, Department of Education and numbers of other ones. That's, that's talk, that's rhetoric. In order to be taken seriously, you need to have a plan to do that because a president can't do that, doesn't have that plan. Numbers of times I've said that I do have a plan, a sunset provision, go analyze it, audit it and show the world how that we can pair it back and eventually do away with it. What is your plan to get rid of the Department of Education or IRS or any other agency?
3: Well, you're absolutely right that I would need to have support in order to do that if anybody got elected as president that would be support and the congress people would know okay this president got support if I want to keep my job in office then I better support the president so the department of education that would be one of the easier ones because people aren't dependent upon it to live it's not like social security or medicare or medicaid so department of education I think It's an easy case to make that the um, federal government should never have been involved in education to begin with, that education should be between parents, teachers, and students, and that they should choose which kind of education they want. And if you look at the different uh, requirements for education, the different requests, there are different areas of the country with different religions, with different customs. There are some places, like I'm in the South here, I'm sure there would be a lot more schools in which people would want religion in the school. There are other places in which they wouldn't. So I think it'd be really easy to explain to the American people, why send your money to the expensive middleman and get it back, how about you keep your money? And if you want religion, great. If you don't want your kid to get his hair cut in order to graduate as that one student in Florida, great. If you wanna have PE or art class or whatever, that's your choice, you get to pick.
0: Okay, and Judge Gray, 30 seconds to respond.
2: I'm sorry, I guess I didn't ask my question very well because I asked how, not more talk, more re- explanations. But there's no ability for a president to all of a sudden, you could not appoint Betsy DeVos to be the, the secretary of the Department of Education. How would you do it? I just didn't hear an answer.
3: Well, I thought I did when I said I would have the support of Congress if I got elected. Okay.
2: Okay, moving on.
0: Uh, the next uh, question asker is Jacob Hornberger.
5: All right. This uh, question, turnabout's fair play to Vermin Supreme. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Verm, Vermin, uh, in a previous debate, you asked me if I'd be willing to be transported in your time machine back to kill Baby National Firearms Act. Yes, I did. All right. Well, now, you know where I stand on the socialism of the welfare state and the and the national security state. And I'm yes, interested sir. in going back in time to several stops, 1913 to kill baby IRS and baby Federal Reserve. And then in the 1930s, baby Social Security, 60s, baby Medicare, and 1947, baby CIA. My question to you is, would you be willing to give me a free trip in your time machine to go back and wreak all of this death uh, in, back in time?
6: Sounds like a really fun day. Uh, we, we should definitely plan on that. Please, please contact my schedulers, and we will we will make it so. Thank for you. free? For free. My dime. On awesome. Top. That's for me. Thank you, Vermin. My,
5: my treat. Any uh, Anything to add there, Jacob? No, it's awesome. I mean, there's nothing better than free. Free is the best word in the English language. <laughs> Can't beat that. All right. Next up asking the question is Dr.
0: Joe Jorgensen.
3: Okay. So I will return the favor to uh, Judge Gray. So, and I know I asked you this question before, but I just want to go into numbers a little more. So with a negative income tax, if you're making nothing, the government is giving you $15,000 a year. Now if you get a new job, now, let's say mowing lawns, you're going to make $10,000 a year. Yes, you get to keep the 10000 but you're losing 5000 of the stipend. So it really doesn't matter if you're getting money taken out of the right hand or getting money taken out of the left hand. The overall net effect is you are earning $10,000 and having to give up $5,000, which is an effective 50% tax rate. And should the poorest people really be paying a 50 percent tax rate when even um, high records don't pay it?
2: It's hard for me to answer that. It is not a tax, Joe. You know, it's not a tax. You are, you're not entitled to anything. It is money that is coming to help you from the government. You have an incentive to climb out of poverty, get off the crutch of welfare, and have an incentive to go out and get that job. Today in welfare, you have an incentive to stay home and get more money. This program, Milton Friedman's program, would help you climb out of poverty. So if you earn $10,000, you have an incentive to do that because now you have $20,000 in your pocket instead of fifteen. And if you earn $15,000, then you're going to have an extra $2,500 all the way up to 30. It's not a tax. That's misleading, actually. It is not a tax. You're just not receiving as much money from the government. It's a good thing. It's something that I think everyone will understand. A tax means you have money in your pocket. You pay it to the government. That's not happening here. The government pays you less. You're not paying the government anything. I think you know that. Dr. Jorgensen, do you want to rebut that?
3: Yeah, I completely understand how you're not calling it a tax, which is why I said it doesn't matter if it comes out of your right hand or your left hand. Call it a stipend, call it taxation, call it extortion, call it whatever you want. You, I, I agree with you, people need incentive, but for earning an extra $10,000 means they only get to keep an extra $5,000. Um, I just don't agree that that's a lot of incentive when they have to give up half of it going from whatever place.
2: The numbers were used for illustration. I would stand on them, but whatever the numbers are, that would be the formula. you get rid of the welfare and get to incentive. It's a good program.
0: Okay, moving on to uh, Adam Kokesh, you're up.
4: Well, I feel so left out here. I haven't gotten a question yet. Even coming in at the end of the round, I wonder if my opponents have learned their lessons from prior debates to not ask me questions, but I got a good one for Joe here. This is a two parter. Uh, earlier, you said that someone uh, misrepresented your platform here. Another uh, person in this debate was about the CIA. Was that Jacob? And, and if so, are you actually accusing him of, of dishonestly somehow misrepresenting your platform? And the 96 experience you had as, as the VP uh, nominee with Harry Brown. You did not come back in 2000 as his running mate. Then replaced by Art Olivier, the former mayor of Bellflower, California. Uh, why? Why did uh, uh, Mr. Brown not uh, bring you back on the ticket? Or, or, or what? What happened from 96 to 2000?
3: So I will not confirm nor deny any fellow candidate's names because I don't want any rebuttal time here. But thank you for that. Well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can explain more um, about that, but uh, I, I, yeah, no, the NSA is absolutely evil, and the CIA comments were taken out of context. Um, as far as the Harry Brown campaign, <laughs> name names, <laughs> as far as the Harry Brown campaign, uh, first of all, Harry Brown did not choose me for the 96 campaign I ran and in fact I'm very proud that I campaigned in 32 different states and which was more states than the other presidential candidates combined which okay I admit the other two there were only two other candidates Rick Tompkins and Erwin Schiff but still I went to more states and raised more money than the other presidential candidates combined and so uh when uh 1998 came around and it was, you know, deciding should I run or not. Part of the reason, again, was because I thought Harry Brown was an excellent candidate. The perfect mix of practical and principled because he went plank by plank every platform, uh, every sentence of the platform, but explained it practically. And that's when I went back to school to get my doctoral degree. So, in fact, I gave one of the nominating speeches for Art Olivier.
4: Awesome. You know, I, I would say I get a response in there. Yeah. Yep, 30, you, you seconds. Get, 30 okay. seconds. Yeah, no, I would I would say that's great, Joe. And, and I, I, I think that question was unnecessarily confrontational, but I, I like how you handle that. And I, I really do appreciate your message as being a great combining of the pragmatic and the principled ideas that seem to create an artificial divide in this movement like you and I have. Uh, in the middle, I think sort of in this, in this, both making an effort to blend on those things, and I really appreciate that compared to maybe Jacob on one side and and Judge Gray on the other, and Vermin on a different pole, perhaps. But I, I really think that uh, y- y- you have a great message that combines those things. I would only say, in that sense, I, I have an advantage in in the policy of localization and, in and the greater platform good. that I bring to this. So I would, I would love, I would love to work with you as a running mate. Either way, I think we both have that strategic advantage.
3: Thank
0: you. All right. And with that, I'll bring uh, Marks back in here to John? do the next round. Wait, John.
1: All right. Mark? That was fun. Uh, um, I think Adam was feeling a little left out. So let's see if Mark? we can get him a question
5: this time. But uh, we're going to start the same. Mark? Yeah, go ahead. I was mentioned twice, one by uh, both by um, Adam. Don't I get a response?
1: Okay. you, you can, I'll let you respond to Adam's suggestion that you might be who jo- Dr. Jorgensen was referring to at an earlier point. How like. much time do I get? I'll give you 30 seconds.
5: Yeah. Let me, let me clarify exactly what's happening here. I, in a previous debate, I asked Joe, do you favor the reform or the abolition of the CIA and the NSA? She had an opportunity to say she would abolish the NSA. She did not. She remained quiet. She says, I want to keep the CIA and I want to put it under the auspices of the Pentagon. That's exactly the context in which that exchange took place. Okay, Joe, do you care to respond to that before we move on to the next round?
1: I'll give you 30 if you'd like.
3: Um... What I said was we need to have some type of intelligence within the military. I didn't say we would keep the actual organization. And he's right. I did not respond to the NSA part because I spent the entire time talking about the military intelligence gar- gathering with the CIA. But just because I don't say anything about the... you know, We only get so much time to answer a question. And because I didn't have time to respond to the NSA part and only responded to the CIA, doesn't mean approval. I, I The NSA NSA is evil.
1: Speaking of limited time, that was your time. Thank you.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to
1: have some time for some more fun uh, with questions with each other. We're going to do another round of this now. Uh, the only rule here is that you cannot ask a question to whoever you asked the question to in the last round, um, you know, b- rebuttals uh, not included here. Uh, but we're going to start this round with a question from Dr. Joe Jorgensen.
3: Oh, thank, thank you. So, Adam, I do agree that localization is whatever the answer to the problem to many things i think it's the answer to the problem of education because it should be the job of parents teachers and students not the federal government i think it's the um answer to charity because people in appalachia have completely different needs than people in new york city so let's let the local people decide how they're going to do charity um explain your national defense
4: Yeah, thank you so much for that opportunity, Joe, because it is so important for the Libertarian Party right now to unify the American people who are largely anti-war against the pro-war duopoly. And as I learned from my experience in Iraq, as I've said in my activism with Iraq veterans against the war, I realized it wasn't enough to be against one war or the global war of terror or against the uh, the idea of aggressive war even, but militarism itself. And I looked at the advice of the founders and they were against the idea of a standing army. They knew that a standing army defended a government, whereas a decentralized militia-based defense was not only how they Won the Revolutionary War, but the only legitimate and effective defense for a free people. So what I'd like to see is the rifle behind every blade of grass strategy. And I'd like to get to that in a very moderate way of localizing and decentralizing the military so that we can get to the ideal that the founders advocated for. So What I would do is immediately cease all active military operations around the world. That's an easy one. Bring the troops home, start that significant logistical process immediately, close the foreign bases, de-weaponize and liquidate any assets that are not legitimate for defense, and apportion the remainder among the subsidiary units of the federal government. The, fu- the vision of our founders was a well-armed populace that refused to be governed by anyone. This is one moderate step that gets us in the right direction and w- would avoid the kind of war crimes that I took part in as a Marine who volunteered to go to Iraq in 2004.
1: All righty, and uh, Jody, can you respond to that? You have 30 seconds if you'd like to rebut.
3: Um, Let me just say that while I agree with Adam for localization and things like charity, education, and many other things, I would still, I still think that the role of government, police courts, and military, and I'm fine with the national defense.
1: All righty. Moving along. Next question
2: is going to go to Judge Jim Gray. Well, thank you, then. Uh, I would ask a question of of, uh, Jacob Hornberger, in fact, it's a two-parter, Jacob. Uh, the first is that uh, I am a member of the lifetime member of the Libertarian Party. According to lp.org, you are not. I'm just asking if that's true. Number two, I've worked with a lot of down-ballot candidates. I've helped them raise money. I've counseled some on how to, different approaches, how to phrase things, and different issues. Uh, have you supported any down-ballot candidates in the past four years? And if so, what did that help look like?
5: Yeah, I am not a lifetime member and and no I haven't. That the thing to keep in mind, Jim, is that there's some of us who have actually just devoted our lives to liberty. And my my entire life has been devoted since oh the last 32 years. I left the, the practice of law uh, where you know I was making a nice income to go into the libertarian movement. I went to work at the Foundation for Economic Education. I then founded the Future of Freedom Foundation where I've worked for 30 years. And so there's different ways, and I should emphasize I don't endorse my candidacy. There's different ways to advance liberty. Um, Some people do it as part on the side of their regular jobs. There's those of us that have devoted our entire lives so whether we divide our times up between the party, between candidates or in the ideological arena, there's people at the Cato Institute and the Reason Magazine and Fee at Mies Institute that have never been lifetime members of the party or helped down ticket items. You can't suggest that they have an advanced liberty because we all advance liberty in our own way, especially those of us who are devoted our lives to it. All right. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, Judge Gray, you have 30 seconds if you'd like to respond to that at all. I-
2: say that I've been in the Libertarian Party for 18 years, and I care about growing the Libertarian Party. The way you do that is to help down ballot candidates and inspire from the top. And uh, I I applaud any actions for liberty. Those are mine.
1: Thank you very much, Judge Gray. Moving along, the next question will go back to Mr. Vermin Supreme.
6: Uh, Yes. Uh, Well, this was a question for Joe. Uh, you, as we all know, the uh, Libertarian Party is a party of uh, minarchists and anarchists uh, united. And of course, uh, I've always been happy to uh, help assert the uh, the minarchist assertions um, identi- as identified in the uh, Libertarian Party platform. Um, now, I, as an anarchist, I mean, as a minarchist, if you do uh, identify as such, uh, just how much government is, is enough uh, in your opinion?
3: I am not going to answer that question because personally, it doesn't matter how much government I think there should be. I'm running on the Libertarian Party platform and I want to give a practical message to the American people and explain that uh, the minimum amount of gov- or, or that we should get to the minimum amount of government, which is police, courts and military, that we can uh, do most of the things voluntarily. However, For a few things, such as the courts, such as police, I'm fine with having the government run that. So, as far as where we are on the scale, you know, somebody uh, likened it to to a train. And if you're headed towards no government at all, uh, let's just head in that direction, and we can each get off where we're comfortable. So we are so far in the other direction. What I want to do is I just want to turn the train around and head in the other direction and give good, practical reasons why the American people should join us.
1: All right. And uh, Mr. Supreme, you're free to respond if you so choose.
6: Oh, well, thank you. Th- thank you for answering that question. I, I was, um, Of course, I'm always concerned about uh, any level of gov- government uh, devolving into a dystopian uh, nightmare police state. And uh, so, yes, but, but that's all. It's all good. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you very much. The next question, we're going to go back to Jacob Harnberger.
5: Yeah, this uh, turned about fair play, Jim. Uh, my question is to you. Uh, as you know, I practiced law as a trial attorney, civil and criminal defense lawyer for 12 years in Texas. I practiced, uh, tried cases probably between before six or seven federal judges, maybe seven or eight state judges. And I can tell you that none of those judges ever even considered ending the war on drugs, even though they were given maximum sentences, many of them 15-year sentences, especially the federal court judges where most of the drug cases were. And so you and I have had some heated arguments in this debate, in this, this race, but I have to tip my hat to you for what you did as a judge coming out with the war on drugs, against the war on drugs. And my question to you is I've been really curious is, What was the reaction that you have had among your fellow judges and fellow prosecutors? You were a former prosecutor in taking this position against the war on drugs. Jacob, thank you for that. I I genuinely appreciate your comment. Uh, You
2: asked two questions. What was their response publicly or what was their response in the judge's lunchroom? In the judges' lunchroom, they'd pretty much agree that, hey, this isn't working. I mean, They they would all say, hey, it isn't working. But uh, publicly, there were two other judges in Orange County after I did it in 1992 that came out against our nation's drug policy. One of them was a magistrate judge, federal magistrate judge, and he ended up losing his job because he wasn't reordered. But the public response, I was on the picture of the LA Times on the front page the next day after the press conference, and then 10 days later, they did a second follow-up study of Judge Gray's letters, it was called, and I had stacks of letters. Most of them were in agreement. 90% of them were in agreement. Now, let's not get carried away. Probably the ones that did not agree didn't write the letters, but the sheriff was not pleased with me. I confess the district attorney wasn't, and actually my presiding judge, whom I told in advance I was going to do this, I next time saw him on KTTV television that night, opinionating that uh, I was going to have an ethical inquiry against me. I received actually a letter from the Judicial Performance Commission, which is our judicial watchdog saying, I'm sure, Judge Gray, you have seen this speculation that we're investigating you for ethical proprieties. This is to let you know that we are not. So I've been able to get away with it. The sheriff lost his election, the DA lost his election, and I was still there. So it really came out pretty well. But thank you for that.
1: All right. Thank you, Judge Gray. And if you
5: have anything to add to that or respond, Jacob, uh, feel free. That's absolutely awesome that I went before a federal judge on a criminal case where a young guy, 22 years old or so, on a, on a heroin conspiracy case where you never touched it. And the, and the judge's name was Maximum John. Gave the guy 15 years and they kept giving these maximum sentences. So these these judges, Democrats, and Republicans are obtuse when it comes to the war on drugs because they keep doing the same thing over again for 30 years. And they would have never had the courage to do that. None of the judges I ever did. So I tip my hat to you, Jim. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you.
1: All right. Thanks to both becoming of you. We becoming have one more question left, my friends. Uh, I'm sorry.
3: It's becoming a love. One bit. more
1: question left, my friends. Yes, I know. It's getting a little too nice in here. We were trying to get, get everybody fired up. So let's see. Maybe Adam can bring it back around to a little more confrontational. We'll see. Adam, the last candidate question goes to you. Take it away.
4: Oh, yes. I, I'm going to be putting my friend Jacob here on the spot with nothing but love behind this question, of course. Now, I am concerned, as I think you are, uh, that having someone like Judge Gray at the top of the ticket would be a disaster for down ballot candidates. Having someone who has to who would take positions that we might have to apologize for as a delegate and uh, an activist in the party that greatly concerns me. As a lifetime member of the party, you know I bought my lifetime membership. In 2004, when I first got back from Iraq, the first time I could afford it, you said earlier that you have confidence in the ideas. I I don't think that's enough. Uh, You know, I have to ask if you've dedicated your life to this cause as I have. Is there never a time when you were able to come up with the the financial commitment to become a lifetime member of the Libertarian Party? And if that lack of success as a messenger is any indication, how do you think you're going to be able to turn that around as the nominee? And Shouldn't we nominate someone who has more of a record of reaching people outside of the party with our message?
5: I've been reaching people th- outside the party for 30 years, Adam. That's what the Future of Freedom Foundation is all about, reaching people outside the party and inside the party. Uh, that's, that's, we've published multiple books. We've had conferences with people like Ron Paul and Andrew Napolitano, Oliver Stone, uh, I mean, th- this is the whole mission of the Liberty of the Future of Freedom Foundation to advance libertarianism in a principled way. And that's what I was the point I was making earlier. It doesn't really matter how you advance liberty if you've devoted your life to it. It may be in the educational arena. Like I say, there's people at the Leadership Institute, Reason, Cato. They don't want to have anything to do with politics. Does that mean that they're not devoted to liberty? Of course not. They're just advancing liberty in a different way. They're using the power of ideas on liberty, on ideals and principles, but not in the political arena. Now, you have devoted yourself outside the party. You engage in civil disobedience. You know that I admire you for that. That's outside the party. That's making a message to people. So how you advance liberty whether you do it in the party or outside the party is, le- is not relevant. What's relevant is that you are advancing liberty in some way.
4: Yeah, yeah that, that all sounds great. And I appreciate you taking the opportunity to, to burnish your resume here. With all those things you mentioned, You know, what numbers do you have to back them up?
1: Numbers I'll give you the th- remainder of the 30 seconds to respond, Jacob.
5: I, I don't know what numbers you're talking about.
4: Book sales, following, views, things like
5: that. Oh, gosh, I'd have to get my vice president to get all the statistics. You mean on website views and so forth? I, I can tell you this, that <laughs> we just got noticed from our web uh, server at the Future Freedom Foundation that they could no longer handle the traffic for us and that we needed to either get our own server or some other special kind of deal. That, you know, my, my book on um, the Kennedy Autopsies, our all-time bestseller, I think it's Sold uh, or downloaded some maybe 18,000 copies or so. Um, Separating School and State by Sheldon Richmond is one of our all time bestsellers where we advocate the repeal of all public schooling, the separation of school and state, unlike some of the candidates here. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's different statistics, but really what matters, Adam. Is whether you adhere to principles because you can go and advocate Republican views or Democrat views and get all kinds of popularity. What is that a? Account- that is your time. I'll let you wrap up though. And Maybe. and
4: and and that's where we stand together. I know if you're the nominee, you'll give us nothing to apologize for, Jacob. And, and,
1: and Adam was really sneaky with that last question because uh, he also was able to get in the comment about Judge Gray. So I will allow Judge Gray to come in and respond to, uh, I guess the in, uh, the I mean, yeah. accusation.
2: I don't know what you would call it that. Yeah, Let me just add, I, Adam, what policy is it that you would be ashamed of that I have ever espoused? Because I believe all of my policies will make things better. I'm just interested in knowing.
4: I think the most recent one that you have avoided in answering the question earlier in this debate about jury nullification was the fact that you said you would order the arrest of people expressing their First Amendment rights because they're on courthouse grounds using the justification Of jury tampering, even when the legal threshold under current precedent for jury tampering is not met by passing out jury nullification pamphlets that don't specifically reference any case. I think that's a horrific anti-free speech position, and I would hate to have to apologize for the candidate at the top of the ticket taking that position.
2: You've answered my question. Life is complicated, and I stand with my answer.
1: All right. Well, then, we only have one Segment left here, and that is the closing statements. Um, for, I, I just want to say first for a lot of you, um, for most of you, I think this is your your last stop before uh, the debates on Thursday night. So for many people, I know there's a lot of people that maybe didn't pay attention to the race until – towards the end here but now it's getting very close to decision time I have an email I'm waiting to respond to uh, with my delegate token as uh, as does John as does other hosts on the show as do many people watching right now so I want you to take these last two minutes to really drive it home really try to wow me because I got to make a decision too. wow John wow everybody wow, why should you be the ones that we put our force our will our power behind to lead the libertarian party in 2020 and uh, we will start with
5: uh, Jacob Hartberger. Thank you. Uh, the fundamental question that every American has to ask and what I, which I would pose to every American, but also every Libertarian Party member is, do you want to be free? And I think the answer of every LP member is yes, that's the mission of our party, freedom in our lifetime, which includes my lifetime. Well, in order to achieve freedom, you've got to identify what the infringements on freedom are, and then you've got to dismantle them. If all we do is reform them or continue them or slowly phase them out, then we're, we're in a position no different from reforming slavery. We wouldn't take that kind of position with slavery. We would take the moral position. It's got to end right now. And in fact, that was the right position. That's the same position we have to take on these massive socialist programs, the socialist welfare state. That's what it is. Social Security, Medicare, farm subsidies, education grants. It's all the socialism of the IRS taking money from one group of people and giving it to another group of people. The national security state abolish the CIA. Don't envelop in the military and then dismantle the military industrial complex, the Pentagon, restore a limited government republic. Notice that the other candidates don't say that they want a strong national defense or some of them strong national defense. That means massive military industrial complex. Every time I brought up bring home the troops and discharge them, there hasn't been one candidate that says I agree with him, which means they want to put those those soldiers back in this massive thing. If we're going to achieve liberty, we've got to go to the American people and be honest with them. we got to say, this is what a free society is. This is what we're about as libertarians. And you have to have the moral high ground. Once you take exceptions and you say, well, I'm going to accept Social Security or Medicare, you're toast. You're done. You've lost the moral high ground. You've got to go in there and make the principal case, adhering to our principles, for the dismantling of the drug war, immigration controls, the national security state, the welfare state. And now we're talking about freedom in my lifetime, which is why I entered this race.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Hornberger. We will now move on to a closing statement from Dr. Joe Jorgensen.
3: So thank you very much for allowing me to be in the debate. I agree with Jim Gray that yes, if you go all or none, you usually end up with nothing. So I agree that we need to explain a practical approach to the American people. However, I believe we can do it without giving up the platform, without sacrificing our principles. If you like Jim Gray's uh, practical approach and you like Jacob Hornberger's principle principled approach, then I'm your candidate because I combine both of, both of them. I think that I uniquely am in a place to unify the party. In fact, I'm very proud to mention that I received the Pragmatic Caucuses endorsement and the Radical Caucus rated me a B, which ties with the highest here on stage. So it is possible to be both practical and principled. So I'd just like to go over what I would tell the American people. You know, without an income tax, each American family would save on average about twelve dollars to $14,000. They could buy a new car every couple of years, take the family on a nice vacation without the endless drug wars. Burglary, mugging, shoplifting, and car theft would plummet because addicts could pay for their habit. We don't hear about people breaking into homes to pay for their uh, vermouth habit (laughs) or their vodka habit. There'd be more harmonious relationships between Americans and people in other countries. Healthcare, which right now is a special interest-driven system, would be made a free market. People could afford to go to the doctor. And I would bring all of the troops home, turn America into one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral. We would end the ugliest human uh, endeavors, which is war. We would foster peace. We would stop human casualties. And we would stop the pretext for raising all these taxes in the first place. Uh, You can visit me at JOJ2020.com. Thank you.
1: That was perfectly timed. Thank you very much, Dr. Jorgensen. Uh, Up next, we will take a closing statement from Mr. Vermin Supreme.
6: In addition to vermin supreme 2020.com, I would urge you to please watch the documentary Who is Vermin Supreme? An Outsider Odyssey, available on Vimeo. It is an entertaining and educational film Uh, documenting my 30 years as an activist against the state and authority. Please also check out inonthejoke.net. That is where you will find uh, the policy that my campaign is putting forth. And also please visit disruptthevote.com, which is a site that we are developing uh, for down uh, ticket ballot uh, candidates. Uh, Friends, kids are naturally anti-authoritarian. Kids are naturally nonconformists. They love humor they look around and wonder to themselves why things are the way they are. Kids want to change the world. And that is what libertarians and kids and myself have in common. And I have somehow, weirdly, become the voice of a new generation. Using my platform, I've been spreading the word of mutual aid, volunteerism, liberty and charity, and love and empathy. Indeed, these are the only things getting us through this current crisis, as it has always been during times of disaster. As an anarchist, I've always understood that in order to disengage from the government, we need to be able to build up the systems necessary to replace what the government pretends to offer. It is people helping people. It is neighbors helping neighbors. It is strangers helping strangers. It is building stronger families and building stronger communities. These are the things that create the need for less government. Let us not go back to the way it was. Let us not let ourselves go back to the way we were. Let us heal. Let us work together. Let us look to the future. Let us make a better world now together. We don't have to go back to the old world. Disruption leads to innovation. Innovate now, change now disrupt now let us no longer carry the things that no do not serve us while we have this unprecedented moment in time thank you sorry for going over
1: thank you don't worry you get you get a 15 second leeway we're nice here um moving along we have two more left we're gonna get a closing statement now from adam kokesh adam you got two minutes
4: thank you very much you know when i look at the average american or i think about the average voter trying to choose between Democrats and Republicans, I think of someone with a handful of poop in both hands going, hmm, I wonder which one smells better. And I just want to scream at them, just drop the crap, just just stop giving in to the premises of the system. We as libertarians get to offer something fundamentally different. And that's what localization represents. This is not the chance to just unite the party, but unite the American people against the duopoly because it connects with people on issues that matter. In this debate, I have not heard a single other candidate mention veteran suicides, Native American rights, cryptocurrency, and monetary freedom. These are issues that connect with people. That's why we have so many volunteers with this campaign in coalitions like victims of family law, exotic entertainers for Kokesh, led by my wife, the love of my life, Samantha Morgan Miller, Carnabucci Kokesh. We have gun owners, first responders, stoners, gender and sexual minorities, Christians, felons, because this is something that connects with people on issues that matter to them. So I implore you, look at what works. Please look at what works. This is a message that resonates with people. I'm a candidate who's proven that I've got the hustle. I've got the ability to support down-ballot candidates, to support local activists, to support the party. I'm gonna hustle all the way through 2024, if I'm your nominee, we're going to maximize the value that the party gets out of this nomination. I promise you I will work harder than any other candidate as my record as an activist has shown. But most importantly, this is the manifestation of libertarian principles in a pragmatic policy that manifests the truth of our message, which speaks to that which is in every human soul that wants to be free, the desire to have our will respected in the world. We don't need to shy away from what matters to us, the ideas that we're passionate about because of politics. We use them to make politics better and win.
1: Thank you very much, Adam. All right, we have one more left. I'm pretty sure it's
2: gonna be Judge Jim Gray. Judge, you have two minutes. Well Mark and John once again and thank you for all this I began this session by talking about what our founders felt to a person to a to a member they want they believe the most important function of government is protecting our liberties and our freedoms from the encroachment of government those are libertarian principles that we all those. How we get there, that may be different. But I do believe that Judge Jim Gray, Larry Sharp will be the unification candidates for the Libertarian Party. And once we get the nomination, we'll be the unification candidates for the country. They crave what we are, what we would do. You know, we will be able, though, to, to have a campaign that you'd be proud to take to your families, to your friends, to your neighbors, and discuss it. We will inspire more people to come to Libertarians. And that will also, by the way, help those down-ballot candidates who, if you're talking about destroying Social Security, that's the biggest breach of contract I can think of. That would be horrendous for people who have been extorted into paying money for decades into this system, and all of a sudden, oh, now it's just rely on your family. That's not right. It's a breach of contract. We're going to stop social, privatize Social Security, that people opt out of Social Security and go into private sessions but the people who have paid in that money are going to get everything that they've been promised because that's the contract. So we will be able to present this to the American people. We will bring a different culture to our country. Go to graysharp2020.com, join us, support us, help us move mountains. And I promise you, if you do, or even if you don't, we will do you proud. All right, thank you very much, Judge
1: Gray. And thanks to all of you. For coming on and doing this debate. I know, uh, it seems like there's been a debate every night at this point as we, as we get closer and closer to decision time, but decision time is just about here. So I know that uh, I can speak for myself and for John Oderman and for everybody out there watching. We've got a ton of interaction on YouTube, on Facebook. I know we're getting a lot of people watching this debate. So, uh, anything we can do to help people make this very important decision in the next couple of days is much appreciated. So I want to wish the best of you all of luck. I can say with confidence that no matter who wins the Libertarian Party nomination, Anybody on this debate right now, or any of the other candidates for that matter that didn't get into this one that we've had in previous debates, I would be more than thrilled for them to be the president over the options we're being presented right now. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you also to Chris Spangle and we are libertarians for co-producing this debate. Uh, Chris has been working behind the scenes this whole time to make this all look nice and wonderful. And again, thank you to John for co-hosting with me. And once again, thank you to all the candidates. I wish you all the sincerest, greatest, most luck in the coming convention. And keep on roaring, because I know no matter what, you're going to be out there roaring one way or another about liberty. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark.
0: Thank you, John.